Section 15 of the Science History of the Universe, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 6. Edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Zoology. Chapter 9. The Vertebrates, Part 4. Mammals, Part 3. Under the name of hoofed mammals, or ungulata, are commonly grouped together several orders of mammals which are not, in fact, nearly related to each other. They are all herbivorous, adapted to terrestrial life, using the feet only for walking or running, and in all of them the claws have been thickened and broadened into hoofs, serving for support, but useless for grasping or climbing. So far as can be judged, they are derived from several stocks of primitive clawed ancestors, in each of which the hoofs have been independently evolved in adaptation to similar habits of life. The horses, tappers, and rhinoceroses are derived from one primitive stock, the pigs and ruminants from another, the elephants from a third, while there are several extinct races of hoofed mammals derived from still other primitive stocks. The ungulates are all medium to large-sized mammals, many of them gigantic, none of them very small. Their brains are mostly of high type, and in intelligence they rank with the carnivora, decidedly above any of the orders that we have considered except the cetacea, and exceeded only by the higher primates, monkeys, apes, and men. The two most important groups are the perisodactyls, or odd-toed, and the artiodactyls, or even-toed, hoofed mammals. In the former, the number of toes in the hind foot, at least, is three or one, the axis of symmetry passing through the middle digit. In the latter, the number of toes is four or two, the axis of symmetry passing between the two middle digits. There are numerous other points of difference in the structure of teeth, skeleton, and soft anatomy, which show that these two groups are distinct, that while animals so different as the horse and rhinoceros are derived from a common ancestral stock, the tapper and the pig, or the rhinoceros and the hippopotamus, are derived from different primitive stocks of placental mammals. These relationships are fully confirmed by what is known of the geological history of the various races of ungulates. Owing to their large size and comparative abundance, fossil-hoofed mammals are more common and better known than any of the other groups, and the geological history and evolution of many of the ungulate races is quite fully known. The horse, wrote the small boy in an essay, is a square animal with a leg at each corner. A definition that might perhaps be improved upon. But in fact, the horse needs no definition to bring it before the eye of man, woman, or child. Its graceful proportions, compact, well-knit body, long head and arched neck, its flowing mane and tail, its slender limbs and one-toed feet, tipped each by a broad, solid hoof, these are the ideal proportions of the swift-running hoofed mammal designed to cover long distances 
at a high rate of speed. True horses are practically unknown in a wild state, the so-called wild horses being for the most part descended from animals which have escaped from domestication. The Zawalski horse of the deserts of Central Asia is, however, believed to be a truly wild species. The closely related asses and zebras occur in the wild state in Western Asia and in Africa. They differ from the horse chiefly in size and color pattern, and are all included in the genus Equus. In a broad way, all of them may be called horses. The structure of the feet and teeth in the horse using the word in this broader sense, is unique among modern animals. The foot has but a single toe, corresponding to the middle or third digit of man, but the second and fourth digits are represented by small rudiments, splint bones, which lie closely pressed against the back of the cannon bone, corresponding to the third metacarpal bone of the palm in the human hand, or the third metatarsal bone of the instep in the foot. These rudiments are all that is left of the second and fourth toes. Of the first and fifth, there is no trace at all. The cheek teeth are equally peculiar. They are long square columns, growing at the base and pushing up from the jaws they wear off at the surface in grinding the food. They are composed of enamel, dentine, and cement. The enamel, which forms the covering of the usual type of mammal tooth, is infolded into a complicated pattern, its worn edges supported on one side by the dentine which underlies the enamel in the normal mammal tooth, and on the other by cement, a special substance slightly softer than the dentine deposited on what is at first the outer side of the enamel before the tooth pushes up through the gum. By this means, the grinding surface of the tooth, at any stage of wear, is composed of a complex pattern of hard enamel ridges braced on either side by the somewhat softer dentine and cement. This forms a most efficient instrument for grinding and triturating the hard, dry grasses which are the natural food of the horse. In the successive formations of the tertiary period, in the Great Plains region of the western United States, have been found a series of evolutionary stages leading up to the modern horse, from small ancestors no larger than a cat, with four toes on the forefoot, and three on the hindfoot, and with grinding teeth of the primitive bunodont type, such as are still retained by man and many other mammals. These little four-toed horses are scarcely distinguishable from the contemporary ancestors of tapirs and rhinoceroses. The successive stages of the divergent lines of evolution which led up into the three widely different modern types have been found in the successive formations of the American tertiary. About a dozen successive stages are known. Nearly all form complete fossil skeletons, besides numerous incomplete ones, which illustrate the gradual transition from the little four-toed horse to his modern descendant. In the Eocene, the ancestors of the horse had four complete toes in the forefoot, three in the hindfoot, all resting on the ground. In the Oligocene, they had but three complete toes on four or hindfoot, all resting on the ground. 
but the side toes are slender and the middle digit larger. The outside toe of their Eocene ancestors is represented by a rudiment or splint. In the Miocene, the central toe is more enlarged, and the side toes are very slender, and can no longer touch the ground, but are like the dew claws of a dog or deer. In the Pliocene, the side toes are still more slender, and the bones of the middle digit have more clearly the proportions of those of a horse. And in the Old World, it is seen that there were already one-toed horses, in which the dew claws had disappeared. In the Pleistocene epoch, all horses were one-toed like those of today, and at that time there were species of wild horse in Europe, Asia, Africa, North and South America. Since that time, the geographic range of horses has been much restricted. They disappeared wholly from the New World to be reintroduced by European settlers in the North and South Americas. They are no longer found in the wild state in Europe, nor in most parts of Asia, and the zebras and wild asses are rapidly disappearing. The domesticated breeds which are believed to be crosses of Asiatic, North African, and perhaps native European wild horses have been introduced everywhere that civilized man has made his home, and feral races escaped from domestication have repeopled the high plains of both Americas. The evolution of the horse is to be regarded as an adaptation to changing conditions of climate and geography, which favored more and more the development of swift-running types in open grassy plains. At the beginning of the tertiary period, the plains of western America lay near to sea level, had a moist subtropical climate, and were heavily forest-clad. Throughout this period they were being slowly elevated above sea level, the climate was becoming colder and more arid, and the forests were disappearing to be replaced by extensive grassy plains. Of the original population of animals, some retreated southward with the changing climate, and their descendants are today to be found in the tropical forests. Some became extinct, and are known to us only from their fossil remains. Some, like the horses, were able to adapt themselves to the changing conditions and their descendants, much changed in form and habits, still survive. Hand in hand, with the changes in foot structure adapting them to swift running, when changes in the teeth adapting them to feed upon the hard, dry, upland grasses. The steady increase in size is a common feature in many races of animals, especially of ungulates. The tapirs afford an example of a race which has followed the climate southward, instead of altering its habits and structure. Tappers today inhabit the forests of tropical America and the Malayan Peninsula. They retain the primitive construction of the feet, four toes in the forefoot, three in the hindfoot, and their teeth are not greatly changed from the primitive type of the Eocene ancestors of horses, tapirs, and rhinoceroses. Except for increased size and bulk, and the development of a short flexible proboscis, they have changed but little. During the early part of the tertiary period, tapirs inhabited all the northern continents, but their range was gradually restricted further and further to the south. The history of the rhinoceroses is much the same as of the tapirs. In the early tertiary, their ancestors had four toes on the front foot, three on the hind foot, 
and primitive short-crowned monodont teeth. Like the early horses, these ancestral rhinoceroses lost the outer digit in the forefoot, and began to lengthen out the crowns of the teeth, making them more efficient grinders. But they got no further than these first steps, and then, like the tappers, they followed the changing climate southward in preference to adapting themselves to new conditions of life. Rhinoceroses were common in Europe, northern Asia, and North America, as far as Canada, during the early and middle tertiary, but by the end of the tertiary they had disappeared from the northern regions, except for a few survivors in Europe and Asia, and today they are found only in the tropical regions of the Old World, in India, and some of the East Indian islands, in Africa as far south as Cape Colony. In the New World, they have become wholly extinct. Other races of the early perisodactyls have become entirely extinct. Such were the Titanotheres of tertiary North America, huge, massive rhinoceros-like animals with humped back like the bison, and paired bony horns at the front of the solidly built skull. The Paleotheres of the European tertiary, smaller, hornless, tapir-like in size and proportion, but with only three front toes, and most peculiar of all, the calicotares, an odd combination of horse and rhinoceros in proportions, but with the hooves we converted into large, powerful claws, used probably to dig around trees and uproot them in order to feed upon their foliage. In reviewing the historical development of the perisodactyls, it must be deemed an order that has passed its prime and is tending toward extinction. It was represented during the tertiary period by a great number and variety of members, both small and large. Its living representatives are few in number, of large size, scattered, widely diverse in form and habits, and, except for the horses, confined to tropical regions. Even the horses, the most successful in adapting themselves to modern conditions of life, do not appear to maintain themselves in competition with their numerous and varied rivals of the ruminant group, which are by far the most abundant among modern hoofed mammals. The order Arteodactyla includes two principal groups. First, the non-ruminants, pigs, peccaries, and hippopotami, with the primitive bonadont type of teeth and with four separate digits in each foot, although the sides of toes are sometimes much reduced. Second, the ruminants, camels, deer, antelope, sheep, and cattle, in which the cheek teeth are adapted for grinding, although with a wholly different pattern from the grinders of horses or rhinoceroses, and there are only two complete digits on each foot, the metapodials of which are fused into a single cannon bone, although the toes remain separate and the side toes are rudimentary dew claws, or altogether absent. The first group retain more nearly the ancestral characters of teeth and feet and have survived owing to certain unusual habits of life or special means of defense, which have protected them against competition. The second group is the progressive and dominant group of herbivorous mammals. The pigs of the old world and the peccaries of the new are provided with bristly hair, 
thick skin, and very efficient canine tusks. They are compact-bodied, bold and active fighters, dangerous adversaries whom their carnivorous enemies or herbivorous rivals may well hesitate to attack. Nevertheless, their ranks and numbers have been much decreased since the Middle Tertiary. Several large kinds of peccary inhabited North America, as far north, at least, as the Canadian border, up to the Pleistocene epoch. There is now but a single genus, which ranges from southern Texas to Brazil. In Europe there were also a number of true pigs, some of large size during the later tertiary. The wild boar is the only surviving type in temperate regions, but in tropical Africa and the East Indies there are several others, the warthog, red river hog, babarusa, and a number of species of pigs. The pigs, like the tapirs and rhinoceroses, have followed the tropical forest and climate southward in its gradual disappearance from the temperate zone. The hippopotamus is among the largest of living quadrupeds. Thick skin, almost hairless, its broad short feet with four toes of nearly equal size, its huge jaws and long heavy tusks adapted to root in the mud of river bottoms. Chiefly aquatic in its habits, it can remain underwater for some time before coming up to breathe. It is found today only in the rivers of Central Africa, but had formerly a much wider range, inhabiting Madagascar and Southern Asia, and ranging northward into Europe. Nine-tenths of the hoofed animals belong to the ruminants, a section of the artiodactyls. They are distinguished especially by the peculiar complexity of the stomach, which enables them to chew the cud. It is divided into four chambers, the first and largest, or paunch, serving to contain the hastily swallowed food, which is later returned to the mouth, thoroughly masticated at leisure, and passes to the other divisions of the stomach for digestion. The advantage of this habit of chewing the cud to an herbivorous animal whose food requires thorough chewing are very considerable. Food can be obtained hastily, where rich and plentiful, while the necessary mastication can be continued while en route from the feeding grounds or during rest, or deferred till a place of safety is reached. The limbs and feet of ruminants are highly specialized, both for speed and endurance. Almost, if not quite as much as in the horse, while the divided hoof, really two separate hoofs closely paired, gives them a better footing on rough or irregular ground. Among living ruminants, the camels and llamas stand apart as a primitive and peculiar race, specialized for desert life. The long, loose-jointed limbs and padded feet lack the speed adaptation of the higher races, but are well fitted to traverse the loose desert sand. The stomach is less complex, but peculiarly specialized to carry a supply of water which enables the animal to go without drinking for several days at a time. Although the camels are now found only in the Central Asian and North African deserts, and the llamas in the arid regions of South America, they were, during the tertiary period, a peculiarly North American family, 
and the evolution of the race has been traced almost as completely as the evolution of the horse, back to little ancestors no larger than a cat, with four separate digits on each foot. They disappeared from North America before the appearance of civilized man, like the Native American horses, and the preservations of camel in the Old World is perhaps like the preservation of the Asiatic horse, due to their being domesticated by man. It is doubtful whether any truly wild camels exist either in Asia or Africa. If these domesticated races be set aside, it will be found that camels and horses have both disappeared from the northern continents, where they were abundant during the age of mammals, but are preserved in the outlying southern continents. The peculiarly American camels in South America, the cosmopolitan horses in Southern Africa, Looking at the matter in this way, it may reasonably be supposed that they were driven into the outlying southern regions through their inability to contend with the more perfected ruminants, whose center of dispersal was in the great northern land mass. Both camels and llamas have been domesticated by man, and used as beasts of burden. The Bactrian, or two-humped camel in Central Asia, the Dromedary in North Africa, the llama was the only beast of burden in ancient Peru, while the smaller alpaca was kept for its fleece and meat. The wild races of these two species still exist in the high plains of South America, under the names of Guanaco and Vicuña. Before taking up the typical ruminants, or pecora, Allusion may be made to the chevrotain of the dense forests of the East Indies and the water chevrotain of the equally dense forests of West Africa, both regions the refuge of many primitive survivors of the tertiary fauna. These two genera are grouped together because of the less perfected foot structure and lack of horns, and represent quite nearly the early tertiary stage in the evolution of the ruminants as it is found fossil in Europe and North America. The true ruminants or pecora are undoubtedly the dominant group of herbivora today. They are a group of comparatively recent evolution geologically, and first appear in the middle tertiary, developing out of primitive artiodactyls, mainly in the Old World. Their center of diffusion was apparently North Asia, whence they spread to Europe, on one hand, to North America, on the other, reaching Africa and South America at a later date, probably toward the end of the tertiary period. They include three main sections. First, the giraffes, in which the horns are bony excrescences covered with a skin pad. Second, the deer, in which the horns, antlers, are covered with a skin pad, the velvet, only when newly formed and are shed annually. Third, the antelopes, sheep, and cattle, in which the horn cones are covered with a heavy, solid, and tough, true horn, which is permanent during the lifetime of the animal. The giraffes may be regarded as the most primitive of these three sections. They are today limited to Africa, the giraffe being adapted to the semi-desert plains where its long neck enables it to feed upon the succulent upper foliage of mimosas and other thorny bushes, while its ally, the recently discovered okapi, 
inhabits the deep forests of central Africa. Fossil giraffes have been found in the late tertiary of Asia and southern Europe, and nearly related forms in India, Civitherium, etc., were of greater bulk, although not so tall, and had the horns much larger and more branched. End of chapter 9, part 3. End of section 15.